You're listening to On The Road with Mike and Andy, the number one Australian weekly trucking podcast made for Aussie truckies by Aussie truckies. Listen to On The Road on the Australian Big Rigs Radio Roadshow and via podcast on SoundCloud, iTunes, Spotify and now also on iHeartRadio. Just search for On The Road Aussie Trucking Podcast. On The Road is brought to you by NTI, Australia's leading transport and logistics insurer. Visit the website at nti.com.au. Welcome back. It's great to see you on the road again. It's a blockbuster show this week with an in-depth interview you can't afford to miss. Mike pulls out the magnifying glass as he and NTI's guru, Adam Gibson, dissect the hot topic of technology in the transport industry. There's no holds barred, their discussion digs right to the very heart of the subject and leaves no stone unturned. We've got a hot off the press update from Tones about Truck Whiz and Tones trucking stories, all the latest from the On The Road newsroom, plus two great songs from Great White and Tom Petty. Buckle up and settle back for another great hour of On The Road. G'day, I'm Yogi from Outback Chuckers, and when I'm on the road, we're always on the road doing stuff out on the road, but when we're on the road, we're listening to the big rigs on the road. <laughs> this is Simon Smith here from the Australian Big Rig Radio Roadshow.com. Truck and radio is what we do across Australia 24-7. Loads of truck and classics every hour. If you'd like to drop us a line, love to hear from you at some stage. Our email address, bigrigradio at yahoo.com.au. Catch it down the road and take it steady out there. The Australian Big Rig Radio Roadshow.com. Today, we're going to play a track from a band called Great White. Formed in Los Angeles in the late 70s. The track's called Rolling Stone. I hope no one out there is actually Rolling Stone, right? Listen to the lyrics of the song, you'll know what I'm talking about. This is Rolling Stone. Get it into your ears. It's a great track to drive by.
are talking today with Adam Gibson about technology. I've been driving for quite some time and I started driving trucks that didn't have anything in them. No speed limiters, no rollover, stability control, no electronic brakes and I managed to survive. Some blokes didn't and we've been working on making driving safer ever since. Now Adam Gibson is the Transport and Logistics Risk Engineer. That's a mouthful, that. That is. I actually have to carry two business cards just for my job title. (laughs) Anyway, anyone that's followed me and what I've been doing for a certain amount of time will know that I had a really hard time with the introduction of some technology into my truck to the point where I was ready to quit the best job I'd ever had seen or heard about because someone wanted to put a seeing machine in it. I didn't realise that there was a whole raft of other technology in the truck that basically does a lot of stuff and could tell the boss about what I was doing driving the truck anyway. The startling part to me is that I've discovered that not many people know anything about this and know that it even exists. So Adam's going to talk to us about all this stuff. I'm going to relate my story and we're going to try and make some of this technology, the need for it and the benefits of it, make some sense so that you can employ it in your business or a driver can understand how it's going to help them be better, more professional operators, and it may in fact save their life. How you going, Adam, mate? You right, are you? Yeah, really good, Mike. Thanks for having me on. It's just a pleasure. What's the story? What are we seeing here? Tell us a bit about what some of this stuff does. Well, first, I think it's important to start with the why. Why are we looking at this technology? What are the problems we're trying to solve? I don't have much time for technology for technology's sake. Mm. So there's probably two areas that are a particular concern to me where technology is, I think, going to be really powerful. Mm. And they are fatigue and inappropriate speed rollovers. Your classic truck's going around a winding bend on a B-road, falls on its slide, shower of sparks and comes to a stop. And what makes those two types of crashes similar is that it's essentially very unsafe for the driver to find where those limits are by the traditional method, which was experimentation. Mm. You keep driving until you have a little micro-sleep, you wake up with that little jolt of adrenaline that we've all felt, Mm. and then you pull over and you think, oh, that was obviously a little bit too far. I should have been listening to what my body was telling me earlier. Yep. And I think a lot of drivers get quite good at it. I don't know what your experience was learning to do long-distance work. That's right, yep. And the same for inappropriate speed rollover crashes. You know that you're learning when you get that little sick feeling in the pit of your head. You feel your abs tighten up, <laughs> your buttocks clench. That's right. You roll back off the throttle just a little bit, your eyes open wide. Yep. You make it out the other side of the corner and you think to yourself, oh, maybe 5K slower next time. Yeah, well, the extent of the pucker fact is the defining characteristic, you know. <laughs> and so both of those, we either have to feel up to that limit and sort of gamble the safety of our people or we find some other way to gather feedback. And I can tell you, for the last 100 years in trucking, that simply hasn't existed. All of our people learnt by experimenting, risking their own lives. Mm. Whereas now we have some technology that, if used well and with the data pulled out, packaged up correctly and communicated to our drivers, we can give them some guidance. This is how close to the limits you are and also protect them if they should happen to exceed those limits while they're driving. Mm. But there's a lot of complexity that comes with doing that well. Well, I've been driving for a very long time. I've held a multi-combination vehicle license for a long time. Yes, I've had my fair share of close calls, but I haven't had any really bad things happen to me. My position before I started to get educated was, I don't need any of this crap in my truck. 
I don't need the boss to tell me how to drive. That's my job. You just organise the loads, mate. Tell me where to go, where to pick it up, where to take it to, and I'll call you when I'm done. And there's a lot of guys out there that think that way, I think. Agree entirely. And that reflects the sense of mastery that our drivers have. And that's excellent. They take pride in their work and they are really happy with their level of expertise. And I don't want to undermine that at all. Mm. Our drivers, as I say pretty regularly, are our single most important risk managers in transport. And we are reliant on their expertise. It's just that the grey as to where the limit is for those two incident types means that it's really hard to determine I'll give the example of rollover crashes. You describe that sensation you feel as the cab starts to roll a bit more than you'd like and you're eyeballing the trees off on the outside of the bend thinking, oh, this might get ugly here. Wide into the gravel, start chucking a bit of gravel under the guards. (laughs) Oh, yeah. I've got a background as a truck designer and you can actually tune how that feels. It's not so much about the suspension of the truck or the configuration of the trailer's It's about the geometry of the cab suspension. And we do. We can have the one truck and make minor changes. I've been there and done this, particularly out at the Angle C Proving Ground down in Victoria. And you sit there and you move the geometry and what's called the roll center of the cab too low. And you've got a thing that feels really soft and rolls everywhere. Drivers drive slower, but it's really unpleasant. They go and say, well, this thing's like driving a bloody marshmallow. Yeah. You go the other way and put the roll center too high and you get a thing that feels like it's cornering on rails, Mm. except that it turns out that those rails lay on their side on the side of the highway a little bit too often. Yeah. So there's a balance in that. And that becomes even more true when we talk about longer combinations, that almost all rollovers start further down back in the trailer set and progress forwards. And by the time you can feel anything in the cab of the truck, it's actually already too late. There is nothing you can do to recover it at that point. It's all over Red Rover. Yeah. What you're talking about, the cabs moving about, I remember the experience. Uh, I actually owned a Mac Magnum at one stage. Don't crucify me, anyone. And that thing flopped around all over the place. Apart from giving your nosebleed climbing up into it, the cab was like it was on a couple of springs. It was ridiculous. Until I got used to the truck, it really didn't change the way I drove. And as you say... Some of the older trucks I drove, like an old Mac Superliner I drove once, it was as rigid as anything. You didn't know what was going on at the back of the trailer. I'll go to something like a Louisville on a rubber block cab suspension. Oh, yeah. Weren't they fantastic? And apart from knocking your fillings out and vibrating your eyeballs, Mm. they made it feel like the thing was a go-kart, comparatively, and had all of the ride comfort of a go-kart. That's right. So, yeah, there's some complexity there in that the perception from the driver's seat is only a proxy for how close to the limit you are. And so particularly as you change between vehicles or your load changes, you go from doing steel slabs to doing livestock. And, yeah, everything that you have dialed into the brainstem, like learning how to ride a bike, is suddenly not correct anymore and is not keeping you safe. Yeah, well, I found that when I changed from doing general to doing tankers. Mm-hmm. You know, you get that little bit of side-to-side motion of the fluid in the tank if you haven't quite got a compartment full. Fortunately, those tankers that I started towing did have all the stability control in them. And I can tell you now, Adam, no one was more surprised than me when I activated the stability control system and it pulled the brakes on and slowed me down. I'm thinking, why was it doing that? But the reality was... It was doing that because I was very, very close to being part of the scenery. I'd been driving that truck, I thought, quite okay. So there is something to learn. For some of my, what I call, inappropriate speed rollover crashes, understand that they very, very, very rarely involve exceeding the speed limits, almost never. They're about a speed that was too high for the combination of the dynamics of the vehicle, the load, and the geometry of the road. 
So the ultimate in this space, concrete agitators, whose natural enemy is, of course, the roundabout. Yes. But most of those crashes are happening at 12, 15 kilometres an hour. Yeah. So whilst the speed is inappropriate, it's a long way from speeding. That theory is borne out in the work that Alan Pincott did with the log guys. Mm, very much so. I suppose we could talk about the EBS and ABS systems that are built into the trailers these days. And the sort of information that we can get out of that, I've seen the graphs and things like that about braking and changing G-forces and all that sort of thing. The manager that gets that information has obviously got to do something with it. Part of the program, I suppose, is to understand that there is information there that you can use and can be usable with your drivers. Now, you're absolutely on the money there, Mike. The first challenge we have is that there really hasn't been any effective communication to explain what these systems can do, and particularly the data they can hold as a driver feedback tool, that they're generally sold for their emergency prevention in the immediate sense, right here, right now, completely failing to mention the opportunity that data creates to understand where your drivers are at risk and how close to limits they are. And to share that, that's the key thing is to share that with those drivers. Mm. So I might go put my technical hat on just for a second. Yeah. We've got a bit of acronym soup here. So ABS is just anti-lock braking. Anyone who's driven an unloaded semi-trailer in the wet without ABS knows the terror of seeing traffic suddenly slow down <laughs> and thinking, where's that trailer going to end up? Honestly, ABS has been almost mandatory uh, with a couple of asterisks on it for so long that I wouldn't want to be seeing any of my insured drivers driving around without working ABS on their gear for exactly those circumstances, particularly like a road with a high crown. So the moment you touch the brakes and she locks up, the trailer's off into the culvert off the side. Or into the lane of traffic next door. Mm -hmm. Exactly. (laughs) The next one, and it's sort of a significant jump newer in terms of technology, is EBS, electronic braking systems add an additional control signal. So in addition to the pneumatic control signal running down through your Susie coil, they add an electrical signal that's just requesting the same thing. I want a one-third brake application, please, trailer. Mm. And the control valve uh, down above the axle group turns that into a supply of air down to the brake chambers. But it can happen a lot faster. And importantly, because of that additional control that they can apply and release much faster and they can sense what's going on down at the wheel end, it enables a lot of other features. There's a few of them. They do effectively a electronic version of load sensing proportioning, so you don't get lock up when you're lightly laden. But the most critical for me is around roll stability control, that the RSC or Trailer Stability Control, TSC, there's lots of other acronyms applied in this space. So what it does is it uses the wheel speed sensors, typically one on each side per axle group, and accelerometers. So it can sense when you've gone into the corner a little bit too quick. Basically, the smarts in the black box under the trailer are the same as that tightening in the pit of your stomach as you go into the corner. Mm. And what they do, when they get to that point where they're like, oh, I'm a little bit nervous here, the trailer's thinking, oh, am I about to end up at the wrecking yard? It just applies a little like 5% brake. And particularly in the case of drums, that sees them take up the free play, so it brings the shoes out in contact with the drums, and just a very light drag at the wheel end. Mm. And then it keeps monitoring wheel speed. And if it sees a wheel speed on one side of the trailer suddenly start to slow down or drop to zero, it knows that's because that wheel end has left the ground. That's the point where it has what's called a level two intervention. So level one is just that little 5% pre-application. A level two intervention is when it throws out the anchors and does that big emergency stop to settle everything down. And it's a big moment when that happens. Hmm. And it comes as a shock to drivers 
not the least of which because I think more often than not, no one has ever described to them what will occur. That's right, yeah. And if you're having level two brake activations, you are tantalizingly close to pitching that combination off into the scenery. Mm. The margin for error there is pretty small and it should be a pretty big warning. But I think more often than not, because of that poor communication, that message isn't being heard. Well, I know it's not being heard because simply put, I've done that twice. Mm-hmm. I've activated ABS system and nobody's actually said to me, hey, Mick, you were close there. I knew I was close because it had happened and you know, common sense and you know, the survival instinct educated me as it has done my whole driving career. We continue to have these rollover incidents and it concerns me that all this information is available to us and that it seems to me that some managers either A, don't have the ability to relate the information or B, aren't aware that the information is even available or C, are simply afraid to have the conversation with their drivers to educate them on how they may in fact save their life. It's one of those three things, I think. I think it's almost certainly, in most cases, a combination of all three. Mm. And these skills, to interact with the technology, well, first, to become aware that the data exists. Mm. And I hope that things like this podcast can contribute towards that awareness and discussion. Mm. To organize the right training to teach, whether it's you know, probably the guys down in your workshop, how to do those downloads, yeah. to understand what the data is telling you. And yeah, to have those at times quite challenging conversations with your drivers, all of those skills are quite demanding. And for a lot of frontline managers of drivers in transport, it's a fair way from their core skills and it's quite new. Yeah. So one of the things I'm big on is, is actually recognizing that, that if your manager tries to come and have a chat with you because he's just started downloading the data out of these systems and he's finding his feet and he doesn't deliver it well, hmm. give him the benefit of the doubt. Assume the very fact he's having that discussion is that he's trying to get you home safe to your family at the end of every journey. And even if it's clumsy or just plain badly delivered, at least give him the benefit of the doubt that it was probably motivated by good intentions. Well, that's the thing, isn't it? It's on all of our shoulders as drivers and operators to try and assess what we do and use the information that's available to us. As you say, the managers are going to try and, if they even try, to give us this information with the best of intent because we all do want to get home safe every day. I would say to the managers, have the conversations. Have a look at the resources that are available. You've shown me that talk that you did and the presentation that Daryl Hutton put out where he went on the learning curve. You don't have to pick your drivers out. We do have all these toolbox meetings. It is possible to present information in a a non-targeted way, so to speak. Mm. You can say, well, look, this is what the worst guy did. This is what the best guy did. And this is the average line. That's the rollover line. How about we shoot for this line down here somewhere and have a talk about how you do that rather than saying, Jesus, Billy, you're an idiot. You nearly flipped it over on that roundabout, mate. You're going to have to pull your socks up or the gate's over there. That's not the conversation to have. The conversation to have is some of us need to have a think about how we're driving. This is what the data is telling us. How about we think about what we're doing, you know, and, and perhaps all of us take a think about it. The problem there, of course, then, is that the bloke that's trying to do the right thing and is doing the right thing may feel he's been included with the other ratbags. Who knows? You're absolutely on the money there, Mike. It's actually one of my greatest fears. I'm out there raising the awareness of the existence of this technology. And I'm aware that I will contribute to an increase in, call it clumsily delivered feedback. Yeah. 
once you get into medium size transport business, I'd love to see the driver group owning this. Yeah. The discussion I'd love to hear at a toolbox talk is to the drivers, what are the three spots that you're most likely you think at this point that we're going to have a rollover crash? Yeah. And I'll take Daryl Hutton's again. We're doing logs down out of the Victorian high country. What are the three corners that catch you out? That, you know, change of camber or, you know, radius tightens up on the exit or it's, you know, goes over a blind crest. I don't know what they're going to be, but I'd love to hear the drivers discussing it just to each raise each other's awareness. Yeah. And that would be so powerful. And I, I should mention there is a lot of value that comes when we take the raw braking system data mm. and we combine it with the location functions of telematics. Yeah. Because all of a sudden you can go and say, we've got a real problem with this roundabout or hey, that new off-ramp is nearly tripping our guys up. Let's have a chat about it. And again, what are we going to do about it? All right, let's just make a company rule from the drivers upwards, preferably, that we'll only drive around that off-ramp at 40 kilometers an hour because it turns out that it looks like you can do 60, but in reality, you're going to lay it on its side at 55. Mm. So let's buy ourselves a bit of a buffer there and make it home every day. That's the opportunity if we rolled this technology out well. Let me be clear, this problem doesn't even start at the frontline managers. In that lunch and learn session with Daryl Hutton mentioned earlier, he had the stability control tech mandated on his fleet by a well-meaning customer. They said, by this date, all of your trailers must have stability control. Hmm. But no one in that discussion said to Daryl, this is why this stuff's so great. This is the value of it. This is how it works. This is what you guys in the workshop need to know. And this is what your drivers need to know. No one did that work. So as a result, Daryl admits it himself. He went back to his company, pulled all his guys into the room and said, oh, they've said we have to put this stuff on the trailers. I guess we've got to do it then. Yep. And had to go through quite a journey to get to the point of saying, wait, this stuff's actually brilliant for what it does for us. Mm. We just didn't realize. And so then had to go through and change the understanding of that technology after it had been in the trucks for a period of time, which is a lot harder than saying to your drivers, look, we're doing logs in the Victorian high country rollovers are our single greatest risk there's this really great tech that can tell you how close to the limit you are and we can start to get some data because he's now feeding location-based rollover stability control events back to Vic Roads yep. and saying hey this roundabout here is absolutely poorly designed for the trucks that pass through it every day and it sees 10,000 a week you might want to consider a bit of geometry work at some point or more particularly be more aware of that the next time you're undertaking a road upgrade. And that's fantastic because that means we're using the data not just internally inside our businesses, but to get better outcomes from government as well. Well, that's one of the biggest problems that we've got in transport, isn't it, Adam? We're very, very good at avoiding change. We're very, very good at looking at problems after the horse has bolted and trying to get some answers about how it all works. If we could get some proactive things to happen, that'd be nice, wouldn't it? And I'm such a big fan of that. I, I called out one activity recently, the LRTAQ organising some livestock handling courses for everyone across the beef supply chain, regardless of their, whether in a sale yard, a feedlot. And they did it because they could see that if something didn't happen, an incident would occur, mm. rather than having had a spate of incidents and doing it in response to that. What I said of that initiative is... It gets seen. If we can be seen as these really great risk managers, then we become masters of our own destiny rather than having people in high-rise office buildings telling us how to do our jobs. Yeah. We'll be back right after this. 
There's nothing more devastating for a truck operator than to be involved in a serious road incident. We've all seen the impact of heavy vehicle accidents and at these times, when people are most vulnerable, it's critical that they have immediate support from a strong, stable, reliable and experienced organisation. NTI is Australia's number one truck insurer, the specialist you can count on to protect your transport and logistics assets, with the know-how to take control of the situation and the capability to reduce lost income by getting trucks back on the road again as soon as possible. Specialist products, experienced people, accredited repair and recovery networks and industry advocacy is what we do. It's our specialty and we've been doing it for more than 45 years. For more information, visit the website at nti.com.au or go to the NTI Facebook page. There's a lot of guys out there my age and older and even younger that are very knowledgeable about what goes on on the road. I mean, have a look at some of the data that's been generated by the likes of Rod Hanafy about major bumps and things like that. We know where these things are. We don't share the information very well. And I think changing our thinking and looking at the information that's available to us and sharing the information with our colleagues, well, that's going to be something that's going to be to the benefit of everyone. And ultimately, it also shows the general public and the road managers that we are thinking about what we're doing and we're trying to do the right thing. It is so powerful. I point to probably speed limiters and written work diaries as examples of where we lost the public confidence of how we were managing particular risks. Yes. And since then, we have borne sort of a form of collective punishment that everyone in industry has to carry, Mm. not just those people who were operating at a high risk level. Let's leave it at that. Mm. And if we want to avoid that in future or maybe just maybe have some hope of winding back some of those more onerous restrictions, we need to demonstrate that we can be trusted risk managers. And the observation I'll make here is when it comes to our trucks, the Australian trucking industry is the best in the world. I've got the data to prove it. Yep. And if we can just put 20% of the effort we put into our trucks into improving how we manage and support and protect our people, the improvement in safety outcomes, the reduction in crashes will be huge. I'm a truck engineer. I can go and design a 5% improvement in safety outcomes through better vehicle dynamics and better suspension and steering geometry, all of that. If we can change the awareness of risk that drivers are given from the data they share between themselves and the discussions they have in the depot, in the lunchroom, and at the truck stop, I'm talking more like 50% improvements. Yeah. And that just gets people home safe. We've just got to make some adjustment of the tension and the nut behind the wheel, mate. <laughs> like it's about feeling supported during that adjustment. Yeah. As I said, my big fear in this space is that in making industry aware of this data, that I compound some of those discussions. and. If you have a discussion with your management that is, I'll say clumsy, we've got a new portal on our website called the Better Business Hub, which is a pool of resources, a whole lot of which are about communication and people leadership skills. Mm. Find some nice, gentle way to guide them that direction. Yeah. Show them that as much as there might be lessons you need to learn about how you're taking that particular roundabout or that particular off-ramp, share with them that, hey, look, I appreciate the sentiment that went into the feedback you're giving me but I feel that your delivery could have been better. Mm. I saw this really awesome resource. Go have a look. Yeah. I suppose the question that I've got now is 
How hard is it to get the information off the black box on the trailer and into a format on a screen or a printed piece of paper that you can have the conversation about? Yeah, really, really good question. There's two dominant manufacturers of smart braking systems on trucks and trailers in Australia. They each have aftermarket support people and up front, you're almost certainly going to need to have one of their techs come out and walk you guys. You know, who is going to be doing the downloads? It's probably going to be the guys in the workshop who are doing it, you know, whether it's every time it comes in for an A service, every time it comes in for a C service, whatever your policy is, and show them how to do that download. Mm. The interface in terms of its usability keeps getting better over time. Daryl sort of flagged the, the significant amount of manual manipulation that he was needing to do early on in that journey. That has improved pretty dramatically. And also there are now to the point systems that are virtually either trailer telematics that can report back the trailer data in real time, including location data, or traditional truck telematics systems that can also read the data from the smart braking systems. And again, as a result, can share it in real time. If I have one criticism of the reporting layers and systems, it's something that came to me quite recently, probably only uh, a year and a half ago. Mm. It's that we've missed a step in almost every system of this nature. The first person who is given access to the data that is created is a manager. Yeah. And they come back down to the driver and say, oh, this is what we've seen, this is the concern. I think that misses a huge opportunity. It's actually one of the fatigue monitoring products that starts with a driver-facing app that lets the drivers take ownership of that data at the first instance. Mm. And so when it comes to the discussion with management, the driver already knows what's being I'd love to see in this space a driver-facing app where at the end of each shift, they can go back and be told, hey, you had this many of this type of alerts, you had this many level two alerts, one was on this roundabout at this time, one was on this off-ramp at this time, give the driver the opportunity to throw a note against it. Mm. The note would be dead simple. It could be a choice of sort of five pre-written text things of, yeah, I buggered that one up, lesson learnt. No, I think this was a false positive. Mm. Something external happened like a car or a kangaroo. Let them put a note against it so they can sort of say, which ones are of the greatest concern and if you have a harsh braking event because a kid ran out in front of your truck, mm. hallelujah, that's a success. We want you to brake harshly when a kid runs out in front of your truck. That's doing your job well. Yep. If you have a harsh braking event because you completely missed the indicator on that car that's been slowing to turn into that driveway for the last 150 metres turning off the newel, well, that's a bit of a concern and that's a mistake you have to own and learn from. Yep. And you should have the opportunity to take ownership of that yourself first and then have a discussion with management down the line, mm. I think that would greatly improve the reception of the tech. It doesn't exist today. This is me virtually putting the word out to the technology vendors saying, hey, can we change how we think about this technology? So basically what you've done is you've let go of the patent or the idea to the patent that we both could have had. Is that what you're saying? I worry about that at times. I was chatting <laughs> with a trailer manufacturer about a dolly design I'd like to play with. Yeah. And you could see the dollar signs light up in his eyes this is at the truck show. Yeah. And I said, look, I've already told 105 other people, so you'll need to get your wriggle on if you want to be the first one there. <laughs> uh, dear, mate, we haven't even talked about fatigue monitoring technology at all. We've talked about trailer monitoring technology, and we haven't talked about fatigue monitoring. Yeah, and the fatigue side's really close to my heart. It is the single largest killer 
of our insured truck drivers. Mm. Over a third of our insured drivers who lost their lives in 2019 was a result of fatigue crashes. And one important thing that I want to call out right up front here is the average years for which they had held the class of license required for the category of vehicle they were in was 18 years. Yeah. And the majority were in MC category vehicles because fatigue is a greater risk in that long-haul space. I'm I'm not telling anyone anything new there. No. But this is not a question of inexperience. Having been doing this for a long time does not lower your risk markedly. No, this is the thing. Unfortunately, some of us sort of get a bit of tunnel vision and try to get the job done and push ourselves probably a little bit further than we should because, hell, we've been doing it for years. And sometimes we don't know what we don't know, I suppose. I know that I can speak from my personal experience. You know, you're a damn liar if you've said as a driver that you've never had that moment where you can't remember the last five Ks or you can't remember passing something or you felt a little bit doughy and the head jerks back up. And the problem with it is, is like we've been saying with the trailer management technology, the managers get that access to that information first you might get a buzz in the seat, but the next piece of information goes to the manager and they've got a totally different mindset about what to do about all this and than what the drivers have got, I think. If I put my manager hat on for a moment from when I owned my trucks and I never had this sort of information available to me, I just had to trust that the drivers would do the right thing. I'm not sure how I would have responded to the phone call from the monitoring centre that said, hey, your driver's just had this incident and you need to deal with it. I'd like to think I'd get hold of the driver and say, hey, mate, it's time for you to pull up and you need to pull up there. But at the same time, I don't know whether I'd be scared or angry. You know what I mean? You sort of feel as though professional drivers should be able to do something as basic as monitor fatigue. Again, much like the stability control tech, Hmm. it's a big departure. We essentially, historically, sent the drivers out the depot gate. If they came back, wonderful. We patted ourselves on the back and we did it again. If they didn't, we said, oh, that didn't go well, and we tried something different. And now we have this data, and there hasn't been much guidance on how to have these discussions. And I've seen a tremendous spectrum in how different transport businesses have communicated that rollout. Yeah. The worst of which, and they shared this with me as a lesson to share, although without their name stuck on it, they regarded it as an IT system upgrade. Yep. So the truck would be in the workshop. The guys from the IT team would look down from their window on the mezzanine floor. If there was a truck there that they hadn't put seeing machines into yet, they'd duck down and do the install in-house. Yep. It was a one driver, one truck business. Mm. And all of a sudden, there's this camera on the dashboard. And they'd ask the guys on the workshop floor, what's this? And the guy on the workshop floor would shrug and say, I have no idea. Mm. And as a result, there was significant pushback against that tech. Oh, mate, I remember it so well. I'm not going to sugarcoat this. I was extremely unhappy when I was told I was getting a seeing machine put in my truck. Extremely unhappy. Because to me, I felt that on someone like me, that technology was wasted. Give it to someone that doesn't know what they're doing. Rightly or wrongly, I was totally dismissive of it. I hadn't had any education on it. There was no way that I could see any value for this. All it was for me was just a big brother thing, an invasion of my privacy. And all it was going to do was give some muppet the opportunity to have a go at me for what I did and the way I did my job. And that's the problem that we've got to address, isn't it? Oh, it really is. It, it comes back to communication. Firstly, mm. 
the manager that was receiving that data, again, probably received no guidance, training, support on how to use it and how to have those discussions. Yeah. With the technology suddenly appearing in your truck, no one had to talk with you of why did we do it? Yeah. Really, that needs to happen a long time before the tech appears. Hey, we're worried about this issue. This is what we're thinking of doing and why. We'd love to have a discussion about it. And the other part there is, Mike, did anyone tell you what interacting with the system would be like? Like, did anyone describe to you that the seat would vibrate or anything else before they sent you out on the road? There was a brief conversation about this is it and this is what it does and customers require us to do this now. I mean, I don't want to be bad-mouthing anyone as far as it goes. All of the side points that you've mentioned about this is why we're doing it, it wasn't rolled out in probably the best way. Uh-huh. I suppose experience is a great teacher. It's not something you end up doing every day. I wrote about it in Big Rig's newspaper. The greatest way to annoy truck drivers is change something and then don't explain to them why you've done it. They've got a great nose for what they consider to be bullshit. And the greatest excuse that a boss could use, sorry, the most smelly excuse that a boss can use is, oh, the customers require this. Uh As soon as someone says that, the bullshit meter goes straight into the red. So the conversation, as you say, has got to start beforehand. We're going to have a talk about this is what we need to do. This is why we're doing it. This is the sort of information it's going to let us have. I had a long conversation with Murray Lay of MLG at Kalgoorlie about all this, and he would probably have to be one of the smartest guys from a transport management position that I've personally spoken to about how to do it properly, how to roll it out properly, and how to adjust this thing in an ongoing way to make the situation better. One chap was telling me that he has a condition where he blinks his eyes a lot because he has dry eyes, setting the machine off on a regular basis, and he's got to somehow or another justify that to someone who really does have no idea. These problems are all the sort of thing that make life that much harder. And, of course, they'll tell everyone about all these dramas that they have. No one will say, oh, I had a bit of a micro-sleep here. The thing woke me up and saved my life or saved someone else. What you'll hear about is how many problems they've had And it's not so much problems with the technology, it's problems with the management as a result of the technology. Couldn't agree more. We tend to overemphasize the negative and underemphasize the positive. The number of transport businesses where almost exactly your experience, where the loudest opponent of the technology at initial rollout becomes the loudest proponent of the technology once they see it in action. The number of guys I've had who (laughs) were very forthright in their feedback and telling me what they thought when it was first going in, Mm. that six months later I'm sitting down with them and they're showing me the footage of themselves asleep in a B-double at 100 kilometres an hour and they're sound asleep slowly veering off the road when the seat vibrates and they jump up with a shock. Mm. I would have half a dozen examples of that exact set of circumstances rolling out. And... I think you touched on something really important there around tuning all of these technologies after rollout. Mm. We often assume they're going to be a silver bullet. Yeah. You spend your dollars, you put the technology in, the problem goes away. And that's simply the wrong mindset to take. Honestly, I would be earmarking whatever technology you're rolling out, at least 20% of your spend on tuning and adjusting in the three to six months after it goes in. Yeah. In the example of seeing machines, the classic one for me is particularly for longer combination drivers where they know that there's a particular long sweeping bend. Yeah. And they're going to look out the window and they're going to have a good look down their trailer set. 
They can hold the wheel at the one particular angle. It's a constant radius corner. They know it and they can set it up mm. and have a really good look and make sure all their trailers are behaving themselves. They're not trailing smoke out of a wheel end with a dragging brake or anything like that. Yep. And after doing that for 25 years, all of a sudden the seeing machine system is generating alerts and perhaps their managers aren't responding well and communicating that well. Yep. What, as a driver, you need to be able to communicate is doing that is important risk management, having that look down the trailer set. Can you go back to the vendor and examine how they might fix that? In a specific case of seeing machines, they can geofence off that section of road so that it won't generate inattention and distraction alerts while you're driving down it. Yep. And all of a sudden, yeah, you're not getting that alert while you're there. You can have a good look at the trailer, but you still have the protection of that technology five hours down the road when your eyelids are getting a bit heavy. Yeah, well, that's the level of understanding of how the technology works. Now, I will say to the credit of the guy I was working for when I first started with all this technology, we did have a meeting about it afterwards and I did get the education I needed and I was given the opportunity to have the education that I needed. There were adjustments made to the thing in the cab of my truck. The mounting location was changed to make it better and so in my circumstance things did become better for me and to the point where I completely forgot even the thing was there and it was doing what it was doing was in effect then just operating in its capacity to be that level of defense at the background to give me a clip up the ear and jerk me into gear if it needed to not that it ever did need to in the finish but that was what it was there for fulfilling its intended role rather than providing all the false positives providing all the stress I think if the managers understand that all they need to do is get with their drivers, have the conversation and make the adjustments, because as you say, the particular pieces of road can be geofenced out. I had that conversation with Murray Lay. He said to me, you look back around the quad that they're towing and you don't get many opportunities to see down the side of the whole combination and make sure, as you say, that a brake's not dragging or a tyre's not shredded or things aren't hanging off that aren't supposed to be. They were getting a lot of those distraction events and they did take steps to correct it and that improved the driver acceptance of the technology. It's all about listening. It's all about communication. It's all about everyone having their input to make the technology work in the best possible way. That is absolutely smack on the money. It really is. The same is also true for worth calling out around smart braking systems as well. There's a lot of calibration that goes into the system Basically, it's a sort of final sign-off when the unit's finished that can change how the system behaves. So if you think you're getting a bunch of false positives where the stability control is intervening where it shouldn't be, first thing I'll say is keep an open mind. Maybe you're picking wheels off the deck and you just don't know how close to the limit you are, but have that discussion. Say, could we get someone out from whoever supports the smart braking tech on our gear and get them to have a look at it? Mm. I've seen a worrying amount of equipment where either it wasn't properly calibrated at end of production or something has gone wrong down the line, like say copped a rock running up the Tanami and destroyed the brake valve unit, which is also the smarts. And so someone's just gone and bought one off the shelf, unplugged the old one, plugged in the new one, not understanding that there is a calibration step required. Mm. So keep an open mind. Don't take this as Adam from NTI giving permission to ignore any events that you don't want to listen to, mm. but also be aware and be willing to ask that question up your reporting chain of, look, it seems like it's going off more often than I'd think, particularly under these circumstances, or 
maybe when I drive with that trailer set, it goes off more often than our other six trailer sets. So that seems sort of weird. Can we get someone to look at it? Amongst other things, that discussion will likely force that business to make sure they have a good brake service tech available to their workshop because it's likely to be beyond the skills of the guy on the shop floor. Yeah. What he needs is he just needs the right number in his phone that when he can't work out what's going on and it's something beyond him, that he knows who to ring to get the good oil. Yep. Well, let's face it. I mean, these fleets are paying for the technology to be in their trucks. They really should take advantage of the information it provides. It's as simple as that. Couldn't agree more. Electronic stability control on heavy trailers became mandatory, I think, 1 November 2019, if I'm not mistaken for the date there, and it will become mandatory on prime movers, I think, 1 February. Might be 1 March 2022. Mm. So we are now, as an industry, required to pay for it and fit it because the government says so. Mm. Well, if you're going to have to pay for it, you might as well get some value back from it. That if you've just got it there and it's not plugged in or there's red lights all over the dashboard, Mm. you're not getting value for money. That's the shortest option. And you're not protecting your people. Something you said earlier about the seeing machines, it just sort of sat there as your wingman. Mm. I use a slightly different analogy. Think about these devices as being like a reserve parachute. Yeah. You don't want to not have them there because when you need them, you really, really need them. (laughs) That's right. But your goal should be to almost never or at least very, very, very rarely use them. Mm. And if you're finding yourself using them regularly, yeah, you've got to reevaluate your behaviors. If you're jumping out of a perfectly good aeroplane and having to cut away your main parachute and deploy your reserve parachute every single jump, you do not have a long career ahead of you. (laughs) You really need to learn how to pack that main chute. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) So something like UNECR 29 compliant cabs, which improves survivability in a rollover crash, you should just never find out whether that works. I worked as a race car driving instructor for 12 years, and honestly, I still don't know whether my fireproof suit is actually fireproof, and I never want to find out. No, I can understand that. So I suppose really the key message of what we've been talking about today, mate, is all this technology is there to provide information that can save your life. And even if your manager's a bit of a muppet and you're a driver, I'd say give the poor bloke a go and at least understand what he's trying to do for you. Perhaps a team environment, the toolbox meeting. I know that some blokes aren't amenable to some of these discussions, but if we can have a bit of a chat about what's going on and why it's going on and perhaps share a little bit of information, it might be better for all of us in the long run. 100%, Mike. That is really what I'd love people to take away, that we are talking at its heart here, getting our people home safe. Even if the message is clumsy, the intentions are generally good. Mm. Take an open mind to that discussion. Better yet, if they're clumsy at it, take ownership of it within the driver group in your business. Go and say, hey, look, I didn't feel comfortable with how you delivered that to me. I don't think anyone else is either. Mm. Do you have anyone else that you need to give feedback to? Can I have a chat with them first? Yeah. That's what leadership looks like. And it's helping to get your mates, your colleagues back to the depot at the end of every journey. Couldn't put it better. Thanks for joining us for this conversation, mate. I do appreciate it. I always learn something every time I talk to you. If anyone's got any questions, they can certainly fire me an email. I'm more than happy to talk. And hey, I'll throw the offer out right now. If you've got one of your drivers that needs to talk to someone that's actually had the experience of going through this rubbish, please, my phone number is on my Twitter profile. It's on the Facebook page. It's on the On The Road podcast web page. 
I am more than happy at no charge, or maybe the price of a beer, to have a chat with anyone and explain to them how I felt with it, how I've dealt with it. My goal is to drive so everyone survives, and I'd like to hope that a lot of the professional operators feel that way. That's a really fantastic offer, Mike, and I encourage everyone who's even considering it to take Mike up on that offer. Thank you very much, Mike. I look forward to talking to you again soon. No worries, mate. Thank you. signage or graphics for your truck, trailer, van, boat, equipment or business, the Sticker Shed is the fast and cost efficient large format digital print and vinyl cut graphic business that can meet all your needs. They specialise in signs, graphics, decals, stickers, banners, one-way window signage and even large-scale canvas prints. Don't be fooled by the name, the Sticker Shed has a fully mobile production facility which means they can manufacture your signage or graphics on the spot. Even if they're not in your area, they can still custom make your signs, stickers and graphics and ship them to you. For more information or to obtain a quote, send an email to brett at thestickershed.com.au, visit the Sticker Shed Facebook page or call Brett on 0412105151. The Sticker Shed, their business is making your business look great. Hi, it's Guy. I listen to On The Road on the Oz Big Rig Road Show. We received an email this week from our mate Tones from TruckWiz and Tones Tracking Stories with some great news and we thought we'd share it with you. The email read, Finally, it has arrived. TruckWiz is the community-based app where you can add anything you deem important that drivers might find handy. For example, loading ramps, rest areas, way stations, decoupling stations, hotspots, etc. Should any other user need that information today, tomorrow, next week or next year, it will be there at their fingertips. To add, just flick us a message with as much info as possible, including a pin drop location on Google Maps, and once verified, you'll be able to see it on our maps. We've created this build to cater for you. It allows us to add information instantaneously on TruckWiz, giving you real-time info. It also allows you, as a user, to display only the information you require. The truck navigational app where you have control. Isn't this the tool you've been waiting for? One of the biggest advantages with this build is trip planning. Enter your destination on TruckWiz and search along that selected route to see what information has been added to your journey. From rest areas, service stations, way stations, heavy traffic and road closures. We have also added warnings for narrow bridges, steep descent ahead, etc. All our service stations and rest areas have a go-to button to allow you to determine roughly where you can drive to before your required break. You can now download the latest Apple build from the app stores, Android to follow. This is a great opportunity for all drivers to get behind TruckWiz and what better platform than one created by fellow Australian truck drivers. On behalf of TruckWiz, Tones Truck and Stories and Trucking Support Agency, we would like to thank everyone that took the time out of their day to drop by and say hi at the Brisbane Truck Show. It was an amazing experience and could not have been as successful as it was without you. For more information, visit the website at www.truckwiz.co or call Tones on 0423 772 778. On the Road News is brought to you by Big Rigs, Australia's national road transport newspaper. Episode 39, News Time, Mike. 
So 39, and only feels like yesterday, mate. It does, doesn't it? Mm. Hey, listen, I was talking with a bloke you knew the other day, and he told me he had 20 years' experience behind the wheel of a truck. Yep. I told him I was very impressed by that, and he said, well, it's actually eight years driving and 12 years waiting at loading docks, warehouses, and rail terminals. <laughs> it's about right, too. Bit of truth in that, I think. <laughs> There's oh, a lot of truth in that, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Now, apparently, Mike, sometimes our voices do get heard. After truckies made it clear they had concerns about design flaws in the newly opened Gatton Vehicle Decoupling Facility, Transport and Main Roads have announced that the entrance was widened and the size of the traffic island reduced to ensure a safe and comfortable entrance and exit to the facility for larger trucks. Isn't that awesome? Yeah. I'm impressed with this. Mark Bailey, Transport Minister, has obviously looked at what we've said, not only us, but everyone. Hmm and said this needs to be looked at and worked on. There's a great picture of it there in the Big Rigs News webpage if anyone wants to go and have a look. You can see all the nice white lines and all that sort of stuff. Tidus will have a look. But, you know, there's only one thing they haven't done, from what I can tell. Put in a toilet? Put in a toilet and a shower. Yeah. I mean, what sort of a third-world country are they living in in Queensland? Yep. We've spent all this money. We've built this beautiful facility like that. The first thing anyone does, Ken Wilkie or anyone who's spoken about this, including myself, will say the first thing you want to do when you pull up is ease springs. Yeah. And if you can't do it in a the toilet, they'll do it beside the truck or somewhere. It will happen. So please, guys, do the rest of the listening. And look, if you're working on them now, if they're being constructed, let me know. But I've asked the question and everyone's telling me that there's none there. I don't know whether that's right or not. Yeah. But there's 30 bays for decoupling. There's no time limits for trailer parking. Drivers are now able to choose either side of kilometer breakdown and reconfigure. The acceleration lanes have been sorted out and made longer. Here's a good facility. We can move ahead with it. Well, mate, you just got to remember that we're used to it. We know up here that we can only go to the bathroom when the Premier says it's okay for us to do that. <laughs> Don't even start me, mate. <laughs> Don't even start me. And mate, a veteran truckie was just a few metres from home when he was attacked by a mob of rock-hurling young men, leaving him with severe injuries to his head, arms and back. What? What? Exactly. Oh, mate, Lee, 53 years old, they're throwing rocks and things at him. I had a bit of a comment about this on the social media, and it is the problem. Right? We've all had things thrown at us. I've had stuff thrown at me several times, rocks going through Wilcannia, rocks going through Moree. I've had a apple thrown at the windscreen of the truck, which hit the middle of the windscreen, and that makes a lovely mess, let me tell you, when it smashes all over the windscreen. doesn't do any damage. It just makes a mess and makes visibility impossible. Did you get to the core of that one? <laughs> the bloody core of it nearly got to me, let me tell you. <laughs> I'll tell you what, it really did shock me and it frightened the hell out of me because you don't know what's happening. Mm. It takes you a few seconds to work out exactly what's happened, you know? Yep. And, of course, then you've got to deal with the visibility issue and all that sort of stuff. And I don't know why people do it, but it is a very, very dangerous thing to do. There have been drivers in Australia killed as a result of it. Yep. The police take a very dim view of it, and if they can catch the people, they will act on it. But the worst thing you can possibly do is what this guy did. Pull up, jump out and go after them because they will attack you. You will not win that fight. Yeah. And if you're chasing them down the road, then there's two other kids jumping in your truck, nicking your wallet, nicking your phone, nicking the stuff that you've left in the truck while you're running down the road after the other ones with your door open. Or nicking your truck, yeah. Or nicking your truck. Yeah. So do not stop. Call the cops, report the incident, tell them what you know, and let the police deal with it. Some people will say that's pointless but it's a safety issue. Absolutely. You'll end up getting bashed with your own bar like this poor bloke did. You know, I want to see him locked up just as much as everyone. I want to see him punished just as much as anyone. 
but the reality of it is is that, mate, you're not going to be able to do it, not on your own, not right then. True enough. Mate, in other news, a concrete company has been fined $450,000 for an incident in 2017 that led to the death of a fuel tanker driver. Yeah. So they're there on site and they're walking around and a couple of concrete mixing trucks have entered the site and required to manoeuvre past each other. This bloke's inadvertently stepped in the path of one of the trucks and was hit. Mm. It just gets ugly. I don't really want to talk about the details of it. No. I really don't. It's just a terrible, terrible thing. The company's been hit with the fine as a result of it. Now, occupational health and safety is one of those things. It's a very real thing. There are very real punishments for it. And people are going to be saying, well, the initial fine for this was like 600000 or something. And that was reduced to 450000 for a guilty plea. Mm. So it doesn't matter how big the fine is, it doesn't bring the person back. Exactly. We're all smart enough now to learn occupational health and safety is all of our responsibility. It's not a race. Have a look around, make sure you're safe and do things so that you're safe. And if someone else looks like they're going to get hurt, then for God's sake, say something. Say something to someone. If it's not to the person that's doing the silly thing, at least to a supervisor if you don't want to talk to the person. Yep. We only get one life. We're easy to kill. We're frail beings. Don't let it be you that someone's paying a fine for. In the $450,000, that's not going to the family of the bloke that lost his life. That'd be a better way around it, wouldn't it? Oh, it would be. It would be. But as you say, it's not going to the family. It's not going to anyone who's been affected by it. Mm. It's just a punishment on the company that for one reason or another, this thing happened. Yeah. In more positive and uplifting news, the convoy for the cure run in Townsville last weekend raised more than $82,000 with more money still to come in. The truckies and the bikies do it again, mate. They do. Now, we've talked about this outfit a couple of times. They've done a fantastic job. These guys, Convoy for Kids, all of these charitable things that truckies and bikies do. Convoy Director Todd Martin is to be congratulated for this. 183 trucks, 50 motorcycles took part, generous donations. The Convoy for a Cure for next year starts now. Mm. If you're up there, you've got a truck, you want to participate, get hold of them, get involved. It's a fantastic thing. And we really, really do need to throw our weight behind these things when they happen. Nortrans is the large freight winner. They raised 4987 bucks. It's the fifth time they've been involved. They had 18 trucks in the convoy. Great to be part on it. Well done for them. Small fleet winners were drain transport. Congratulations to them. Yep. The lead truck was a 1985 Scania owned by Ross Gofton, and he raised 10 grand. Good on him. It's a, just a great thing. Obviously, they had a bit of a revision there. They've had all the corona issues like everyone else. All I can say is when it comes up again, Townsville Truckies, get involved. Be part of the community. Be part of the effort. Very proud of the industry. Truckies and bikers, mate, salt of the earth. Indeed. Now, Mike, finally for this week, I've got a couple of tips for you, for you and the listeners. (laughs) My first tip, never under any circumstances take sleeping pills and laxatives on the same night. (laughs) I wonder why. And my second tip for the week, Never hit a man with glasses. Mm. A baseball bat is much more effective. Oh, mate, yes, indeed. On that thought, I'll leave you with it. Have a wonderful week, and I'll talk to you soon. No worries, mate. See you, buddy. For all the latest industry news, go to www.bigrigs.com.au. Just a quick word about our sponsors, 
Go to our webpage, www.ontheroadpodcast.com.au. You can see who the friends of the show are. And if their products are something that you are interested in or something that you may need, please support them because they support us and they bring our show to you. Hey everyone, Kermie here. Hope you're travelling well, staying safe and on the right side of the white line, by which of course I mean the left. I also hope you're tuning in to the On The Road podcasts with Mike and Andy, because if you're not, two things will happen. One, you'll be missing out on some great interviews, a good few laughs, and what's generally going on out there in truck land. Uh, what's the other thing? Ah, that's it. You won't have heard this plug for On The Road. Hmm. Okay then, so, those of you who are already on here, go and tell your mates about On The Road. They can find it on Spotify or iTunes at On The Road Aussie Trucking Podcast. But you knew that, didn't you? Because you're already... Yeah, look, just go and sell them, okay? Cheers, and take care of you. A number of our listeners have been asking about what's going on with Sam Hughes, the travelling jackaroo. We've been trying to get hold of him to get an update of where he's at and where he's been. He's a very hard man to get hold of, as you can understand. He's in huge demand everywhere he goes, and he's either driving or asleep or fixing something that's broken. So we'll keep on Sam. As soon as we can get hold of him, we'll find out some more information and feed it back to you. So hopefully in the next week or so, we'll have something on that. Yeah, I've been following him on Facebook. He's out and about out there. Old mate Bitsy got exposed to some fireworks the other night. That was a little bit unfun for Bitsy, apparently. Yeah. No, he's a great kid, and we thoroughly support him. Yeah. Good on you, Sam. So if you're listening, Sam, as I'm sure you will be, give us a call, mate. We're trying to get in touch with you. I was going to say that we've got a lot of stuff coming up on the show. I've got Ben Stamatovich from the Drone Way coming up as soon as we can get a day sorted out where he's not working and I'm not working. We can actually get together and do the recording. We've had a couple of cracks now and we both ended up working. Yeah, good luck with that. Yeah. So we've got Lex from Janice, the electric truck crowd coming. Yep. And we're going to try and sell him on the idea of when you turn the switch on that thing, yep. that there's an air start max sound effect that goes out. Yeah. <laughs> and while it's rolling down the road, he's got to have an E9 sound effect at full noise, yeah. like an E9 V8 Mac engine at full noise. Well, a couple of those speakers up in the top of the stacks, mate, that'll work. Yeah, well, it's got to have stacks on them, mate. Yeah, <laughs> they yeah. haven't got any stacks on them because they don't need them, but we've got Lex coming up. Good. I've got Simon from Atlas Ballastrings. We're going to have a bit of a chat with him. Yep. We've got the stuff we're doing with NTI, all this safety stuff. We've got the first one of those coming up. There's just so much happening on the show. I just wanted to say to everyone how proud we are of what we're doing, how much I enjoy reading the feedback in the emails. Yeah. If you want to have something discussed on the show, let us know. More than happy to have a chat about absolutely anything. Within reason. Within reason, within reason. <laughs> the lovely and beautiful Samantha X has promised to do a conversation with me. Now, she'd have been better on our old podcast, mate. Yeah, possibly. So, get her in the Western Star with the stripper pole and a mirror ball. That would have been awesome. Yeah. So I don't know what I'm going to talk to her about. Anyone got some questions for Sam X? i got a few ideas what you're going to talk to her about, but most of it we won't be able to replay. <laughs> well... She does this awesome line of women's lingerie, and I'm trying to get her to model some for me, and we'll do the interview on Skype. It won't help any of the listeners, no. but I'll have a great time. Yeah. <laughs> Mate, so much happening on the show. Looking forward to it all. It's more fun than it should be legal, really. It is more fun than it should be legal. Yeah. It's as simple as that. All right. All right. I've got work to do. Farmers are waiting. I've got fertiliser to deliver. Well, that's just a late issue. <laughs> <laughs> oh, get off me phone. All right, mate. Catch up with you later.
We lost a legend of the music industry back in 2017 with the sad passing of Tom Petty. Whether as leader of the Heartbreakers or a valued member of the supergroup, the Travelling Wilburys, along with Bob Dylan, George Harrison, Jeff Lynne and Roy Orbison, Tom Petty left us with a huge legacy of amazing songs. Probably his best-known hit and right up there as one of Mike's favourite songs of all time. Closing out the show for us this week, here's Tom Petty with Running Down a Dream. That brings us to the end of another On The Road show brought to you by NTI, Australia's leading transport and logistics insurer. For more On The Road news and additional features, visit our website at www.ontheroadpodcast.com.au. Be sure to join us same time next week. In the meantime, play nice with each other and most of all, stay safe out there. Bye for now. The team here at On The Road are great believers in the right to free speech, and whilst we might not always be in 100% agreement with the views and opinions of our guests and contributors, we firmly support their right to hold and express those opinions. Mm-hmm.